But I want to invite you into this series this morning in such a way that um, we get to do something together. If you are part of Journey, you've been here a bunch of weeks, you notice that the room is set up just a tad bit different than it normally is. Uh, the chairs are a little different, and there's tables around the room, and I'll explain that in a minute. Um, as we have been in a series called Centered, and this is based on a book called The Center Set Church, and over the last several weeks, we've been discussing what a, a, a bounded set is, a fuzzy set is, and then what a centered set is. And I'm not going to get into those three things. I just want to talk to you about what it, the implications of that are. But in, in order to understand centered, you've got to kind of understand three groupings of words. And I want to just remind you that we picked these words so that we would understand together when we talk about what the center is, that we would know how to relate to the center. And then I'm going to go over um, a few of the phrases that Mike went over last week that help clarify what the center is. And then I'm going to take questions. I'm going to try and do this really quick. And then we're going to go into a table experience, which you've kind of figured we're going to do. So, um, so I'm breaking it up a little bit different so that we can have an experience together. And in doing so, uh, it's a grand experiment, and we'll have a great time. Okay? So questions are going to be in the middle. Now, you can always text your questions. It doesn't matter if you have one that's a little bit later. You can text them. The text line is in little itty-bitty print up there, um, and you can text us. People text us now throughout the week. I've been sitting there thinking about it, and they text, and, and uh, we respond to them all week long. So... Feel free to text your questions whenever you get around to it and when it lands on you. Um, just give us a little bit of time to respond. Uh, okay, with that being said, we're going to start with these set of words. And the first set of words are opinions, beliefs, and convictions. Everybody's got opinions. You may hear them more than you want. But opinions change, opinions are held loosely, opinions are a point of conversation, but they are not how we build a center or what our community is on. Because if we built it on opinions, it would be crazy. Then there's beliefs. You hold them a little closer, a little tighter, but they're also open to a lot of change. They're open to conversation. You can come up against other people's beliefs, and they might not believe exactly like you do, but that's okay. It's part of being in a community. It's part of being in those environments where you get to learn from one another. The third one is convictions. Convictions is, oh, I believe this, beyond belief to the point where it changes the way I live. I'm convinced that they're true. Paul would say that periodically in the, in the epistles. He would say, I'm convinced. And so convictions are where we find the center, okay? These are our convictions as a body, as a community. The second three groups of words are, where they are, advocate, align, and respect. Um, this is how we relate to the center. We relate to the center if we are, say, an elder or a pastor or a person on staff that holds a teaching position, a place of influence, we are advocate, advocates for the center. We speak for it. We defend it. We are part of the group that says this is who the center is. The second group there is the align. We all should be aligned with the center if we're going to call journey like this is, this is really our home. This is where we want to belong. 
we align with the center. And the last one is respect. You may be coming and you may be going, hey, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure I buy all this center set stuff. I'm not even sure I buy Jesus. I'm not sure I buy all the things about Jesus. But I'll respect this group's center. And I won't push against the center. I won't teach against the center. And so there's this mutual respect. So we all respect. We all, some of us align. Some of us advocate. That's kind of how we relate to the center. Okay. I want to clarify really quick the things that Mike said last week about, and there's two lists. One has eight things in it, and one has seven things in it. <clears throat> um, and uh, just, just to clarify the center of who Jesus is. This is, if you ask Journey Church, can you write it down? Can you give us a list? Can you say this is the center? This is what we're clarifying about Jesus as the center. The first is Jesus is Jewish. I know. If you were here last week, it was kind of like, just, he's not American is what we're saying. He actually, he actually, born in Israel, a Jewish person. And so part of that is the cultural nuances of understanding the Bible and how Jesus operated in that culture. So Jesus is Jewish, Jewish. Jesus preached the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is this. It's now, not yet. It is, salvation is holistic. It's not just for the afterlife. Uh, heaven coming to earth from creation to new creation. What we mean by that is um, what we envision, rather than us going to heaven, we get a new earth. Heaven comes to earth as the explanation of what he would preach as the new kingdom, a call to repentance for all. So that's all part of kingdom language that Jesus talked about. Third is Jesus preached and embodied the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. We did a series uh, last summer on, on the Sermon on the Mount. It spoke to how the kingdom of God is, it is different from the world, is that power is inverted, power belongs to the servant, power belongs to those that are in the marginalized, and he flips the narrative for culture. And the fourth one would be the invasion of the kingdom of God was disruptive and generated opposition. So as Jesus went around and preached the kingdom of God, he, he experienced opposition from the Romans. He experienced it from the religious leaders of the day. He experienced it from his own family. So there was opposition to this because it was so counterculture. It was so against what they believed to be what a Messiah would do. Number five, Jesus revealed the Father. We read in the scriptures that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And so we kind of take our lead from that to say, as we study the Gospels, we begin to recognize this is how God intended us to live as humans. Jesus was enthroned as king on the cross. We talk about cruciformity, a life that is that of sacrifice, and we begin to emulate that kind of life. Number seven, Jesus is the eschatological bearer of judgment. He gets to be the judge because it's his kingdom, it's his people, it's his world. I think there's one more, right? Nope. Is the other list have eight? Oh, good. I'm not losing my mind. All right. And then the other list includes um, some theological statements about who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus the king... Jesus has preexisted with the Father. We believe that he's always been, always will be. He's eternal. Uh, number two, Jesus took on human flesh. 
fulfilling God's promises to David. So there's a connection to this Old Testament that we read and understand, and it gives understanding to who Jesus was. Again, I'm just defining some of these statements to clarify what the center is. So these two groups of lists kind of clarify what we believe about the center. The third one is Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Number four was buried, meaning he really died. And then five was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Number six, he appeared to many. Don't switch it yet. That question came up a number of times on the text line. Why, why is it important to put that there? Appeared to many. Just a point of clarification is that the idea behind this was when, when all this was written down and spread throughout the world, there were documents, we call them gospels, we call them epistles, it's the Bible, is that basically they said that he appeared to many because it gave the opportunity for anybody who read it to go and talk to the eyewitnesses. It's a pretty big, bold statement to say that Jesus died on a cross and then he rose again. And then he appeared to many, allows for there to be verification as to the eyewitnesses. That's why we put that in there. It's repeated over and over again in the scriptures so that people could go and talk to the eyewitnesses. Number seven and eight. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God as Lord and will come again as judge. Okay. Those are all propositions and statements that we use to clarify who Jesus is in the center. And there's two obvious groups there of propositions. But it's at this moment, it's really important that that's clear. It's important to us that it's clear. It's important to how we move forward that it's clear. So this is the moment where I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you have questions about that, that you need clarified, I would love the opportunity to do that. So this is our moment for questions. We're not going to have questions later. Tim has a question. I know I went really fast. Should we have Jeopardy music? Yeah. There's one over there. Um, so I grew up in a Lutheran background, okay. so very uh, liturgical and very familiar with the Apostles and the Nicene Creed. And I was just curious um, if there were going to be any statements about God or the Holy Spirit because the, the whole of those creeds is a little bit more encompassing mm -hmm. than these statements. I was just curious if y'all had considered that or... Sure. If, uh, um, my bad. I didn't clarify. These are not our doctrinal statements. These are words that describe the center of uh, the focal point of the community, which is Jesus. Um, the, the actual doctrinal statement, you can find it online. Um, and there are words about that, and it's, it's, it's more encompassing. We do believe in the Trinity, we believe in the Father, we believe in the scriptures, we believe in those things. Um, but what we're trying to describe in the center is more what we all agree on in terms of how we are going to go about creating the community. But good question. Here we go, Kev. Hey, um, you know how it said, like, op opinions... Oh, yeah. The, um, Opinion, belief, yeah. and... Uh, 
conviction. Sorry. Yeah, that's from like our perspective, right? Um, our perception of what we see. But also, do you think that there would be any place for, say, like, like math? There's mathematical truth, and then there's like truth itself as well. Like, and how authoritative do you guys feel the scripture is? Like. Because I get the synod set as far as we're welcoming to all people wherever they're at, mm -hmm. and we're either going towards it or away from it. Yeah. But should we be welcoming to all ideas? And do you guys believe that there is absolute tr truth? And do you believe that the scriptures are authoritative, something that we should submit to, whether we understand them or not? Sure. Uh, yeah, we do believe the scriptures are authoritative. Uh, they speak to how we came up with this. Um, we didn't just, yeah, so part of it is we didn't pick it out of the air. We obviously came from the Bible, talked, studied the Bible, came up with these principles. Uh, do we believe in absolute truth? Sure, um, but people disagree on to what that absolute truth is. And so part of the part of the um, narrowing of the center and understanding the center is saying this is what we're, this is what Journey's about. There's other churches that would add things to the center, and there's other churches that would take away things from the center. This is just us clarifying for this community what we believe it to be. Um, is, um, I'm not sure uh, in this conversation, a conversation around mathematical principles of, yeah, I believe that they hold true and all that stuff is true, but uh, this is highly a relational conversation as opposed to a concrete um, factual, absolute truth conversation. And so with that, it gets a little messier, and that's part of the struggle of doing this is because we all come at the center from different directions. If you can imagine the center being a person who we all, um, I, I grew up in Minnesota, I know somebody here grew up in Georgia, um, and we come at it from totally different angles. Somebody comes from a Lutheran background. I know there's a number of people in here that come from a Catholic background. I know that there's some that come from a Southern Baptist conference background, whatever. And we all kind of come at the center from a different way. And what we're trying to do in doing this series is just clarify, this is what the center is for journey. And as we agree on that, we ask you to respect that center. Um, and we ask you to engage with that center. And we ask you to do it in such a way that it brings about unity in this community. Um, you don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to even agree on what the center is. We just ask you to respect that. So this is where it gets a little tricky, a little messy, and I think it was supposed to be that way. Also, there's a difference between welcoming, right? Hi, over here. Oh, over there. there there's a difference between welcoming all people and welcoming all ideas in yes. the way I think that you might be asking it. So yeah. this is really about like how we are, um, how we are envisioning being in community with people right. around a set of beliefs that not everybody might agree with and might come in with different ideas, but it's, it's how we hope to be hospitable even when there is disagreement. So right. we welcome people, yeah. but maybe the ideas are nuanced. As we talk about the table, we'll get there. So, yeah. Okay, this is a really hard question for me to ask. Um, this whole series makes me really nervous. Sorry. But it's okay. So I grew up not in a church. Right. I grew up with friends that were Jewish and Muslim or no religion. Mm -hmm. 
So my struggle with being involved with the church is beliefs about others. Okay. Is there anything in this that is saying um, beliefs about people that aren't Christian, aren't any denomination, live on the opposite side of the world, will right. never hear about Christianity or anything in between? Right. Because um, that's, I, I have a hard time because of just the history of religions in this right. world. Sure. And everything I've heard up until now doesn't seem to be casting judgment. Right. It's above our pay grade. Okay. Um, and is that part of the piece about Jesus is the only judge? And is there a statement at this church about others? No statements. Try to avoid statements. Um, <laughs> beliefs? Opinions? Yes, all of those things. <laughs> we have those. We have beliefs and we have opinions. But and they're we have, not a part of the And we center. have convictions. Okay. A lot, uh, I, can, I can speak into that. Um, from a uh, coming, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to state it real plain, real simple. Is um, we would we would say that all are welcome at the table. They're welcome at the table. Everyone is welcome at the table, and we're about to get to that. Um, and without judgment, Jesus welcomed everybody at the table. And so, and as they interacted with Jesus, they either received the invitation or they didn't receive the invitation. And it was an invitation. And uh, he was non-discriminatory about who he invited. He invited people outside the Jewish nation. He invited people within. He invited Pharisees. He invited tax collectors. He invited Romans. They were all invited to the table. So there wasn't a judgment based upon who they were, where they lived, or what they believed. It was a judgment. His judgment is based upon how they received the invitation. Okay. There's, are there going to be people in the world that live and die and never hear the name Jesus? Yes, I believe that is true. I don't know what happens to them when they die. I don't know what the happens to them at that moment. I think that's above our pay grade to decide. We hear statements in the Bible like the only way to the Father is through Jesus. Um, and people take that to believe that all others that don't hear the name or aren't there don't get to come into the presence of the Father. I don't take it that way. I take it as... Um, if the invitation is presented and people have autonomy, they get to choose, they get to come or not come. It's up to them. And I believe that if, okay, this is probably the controversial thing, send me a text. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm now speaking for Kevin Dixon. I'm not speaking for Journey. I'm not speaking for, I'm speaking for me is, I think that opportunity will be presented to everyone. Everyone. Regardless of what we do. So judgment isn't based upon us. We don't get to judge anybody anyway. I don't, know what, I don't know anybody else's heart. They don't know my heart. No one gets to judge. Okay. <laughs> I, know, this I don't is know like, how else. It's as simple as I can state it. No, it's not one of those questions that I think has an absolute answer. Right. Um, it's just, and it's like, that's scary. Mm -hmm. But it just is. So I'll just sit with, you just gotta sit with Sorry. it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about as good as I can do. We have a question in the back. Or we have, do you have another one, Tim? Oh, Suze, you should have this mic. I was just gonna add that like, if somebody walked in this 
room that was of a different faith, we would be so happy to welcome them here and yeah. not because we have a particular outcome in mind for them, but just because they're a person who bears the image of God. Yeah, I need to transition into the table experience. You can text me more questions. You can text them all week long. I am glad to clarify the center is really important to us. Um, but again, I just want to tell you that we're not trying to define Jesus as a list of propositions, and we're not trying to define him as a, as a, a point on a paper. We're not trying to describe him in terms of education or um, some kind of theological proposition. Jesus is a real person, lived in real time, died on a cross. All those things are true, but it's not, it's not enough to mentally ascend to that, to just intellectually go, yeah, I believe those propositions are true. It, it has to become a conviction that changes the way you exist and how you relate to him. And now we're going to talk about more about how we relate to him. And I want to take you to a moment in time in his life. And I want to take you there. And I'm just going to ask you if you'd quick, close your eyes. Trust me, nothing bad's going to happen to you. Um, close your eyes. I want to take you to a time where things are a little bit different. I want to invite you into just a moment in the life of the disciples in Jesus. And this is the moment they've been spending. You'd spend three years with Jesus. You'd walked everywhere. You'd been all over Jerusalem, all over Israel. And uh, the Passover feast was about to be celebrated. And you find yourself in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is really hostile towards you and towards your, your master, Jesus, your rabbi. And he says, let's, let's celebrate one meal together. And uh, it's called the Passover. And the Passover, for those of you who are unsure what that means, is it is the remembrance for the Israel nation of their exodus from the nation of Egypt with the last plague that was played out on Egypt. It was the night when they were to take the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorposts of their houses, and the death angel would pass over that house and not kill the eldest child and thus it was the passover and that's where this meal comes from um, is the remembrance of that it, it was the reminder of god's great deliverance so now you're sitting around a table with 12 men uh, that you had spent three years with and with jesus and i want to read to you what what happens it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the, from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash your feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You're sitting around the table. Your feet are full of the dust of the day and the crap that was on the road, and you don't smell good. And it's not like you're sitting at a table with a chair and your feet are under the chair. You're reclining around this meal. And your feet are very present. And Jesus, the one you've been following, the one that you call teacher, the one that 
you've given up everything for to follow gets up, comes around to you, and washes your feet. It's a moment. Sometimes we blow by it. Sometimes we read that and go, that's, that's, that's stunning. In context, um, looking back on it, God in the flesh washed the feet of fishermen, of tax collectors, of a betrayer, people that would deny him, God, the one we worship, the one who put us on the planet, the one who created everything we know, gets up from a meal and washes the feet of his creation. Just sit in that for a minute. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he asked this question, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that was what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done. For you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The table, when we talk about the table, Journey Church talks about the table. We talk about it as the center of our ministry because it is the place where everyone is welcome. And I know you, you say, yeah, that's a slogan. No, it, it wasn't meant to be that. It rolls off real nice, though, as a slogan. But when you experience the table as the table is intended to be experienced, it's much more than that. Because we're gathering around a table around a center where all of our diversity doesn't matter. When Jesus gathered around that table, it wasn't about them being uniform, the same. It was about, they were all there because Jesus was there. They were all there because Jesus was there. And what does Jesus do? He's, he now demonstrates hospitality in ways that we would struggle with, that they struggled with. He washes all their feet. He doesn't just wash certain feet. He doesn't, he doesn't just wash the ones that were the good ones' feet. He doesn't just wash John's feet or James' feet or Peter's feet. He washes Judas's feet. I'll pass on that one. But no one is excluded. Everyone was welcome at that table. Serving was not beneath Jesus. 
serving people was not beneath Jesus. It wasn't beneath him to do the most menial of tasks. I think that's why this passage sears into the soul a little bit. Because God in the flesh washed feet. Doing a menial task was not beneath him. And it was very loving. This isn't a proposition. This isn't, this isn't about him having the right theological truths. This is embodying what it means to be hospitable. This is embodying what it means to be relational. This is very personal. I don't, there's something tangible about somebody touching your feet that feels different than somebody touching your hand. There's something about somebody sitting down at your feet and slipping off your sandals and going, I'm going to wash, I'm going to pour water over these and I'm going to gently wash the dust of the day off of this. Even though this is not my job, this is not my task. Can you, can you for a moment just feel the hands of Jesus on your feet and the gentle water over them? It's a moment. It's life-changing. He is using this moment to set them up to succeed going forward. He is setting them up for what is to come. He's telling his followers, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. At the table. There's something about this that seems very wrong from an American perspective, from a human perspective. Because the greatest of all became the servant of all. Jesus welcomed and served a motley crew of guys. So here it is, the table, when we talk about it, is about that. It's embodying, when we look at Jesus, we go, that's our center, that's, that's our guide, that's what we're after. And as we come into the presence of the one who washed the feet of the people around him, we go, I'm in, not just to get my feet washed by Jesus, but to wash others' feet. There's a picture here. And the table is not about us all agreeing about how to do that. There's denominations that are built around how to correctly wash people's feet. I think they missed the point. There are people that, there are denominations that are formed around the right way to serve communion. The right way. The right way to do this. They've missed the point to the table. Although one of the followers tried to critique the way that Jesus was washing his feet. His name was Peter. Bless his heart. And that's truly sarcastic from a southern state. No, God, you can't just wash my feet that way. You need to wash all of me. Again, there's this assumption, there's a, a coming with an agenda that is different than what God's bringing. 
So the table is us being put into play. It's not just an it's not just a perfunctory thing that we do. It's not just something we do once a month. It's something that actually gives us an opportunity to be hospitable to one another in a way that demonstrates the center. It is us being able to deepen our relationship with him, with each other, and around an idea that says, you're welcome. There's hospitality here. You don't have to agree with everything we agree with. You don't have to um, even bring anything. You just have to come. I do believe that at the end of that meal, what Jesus said to his crew was, I have a new commandment for you. And it's not really a new commandment. It's just a, a twist on the old commandments. Love one another. Love one another. And I think the table gives us the chance to do that. So we gather around the table. We don't sit in judgment of each other. We don't sit and critique each other's opinions and beliefs. We can disagree and we can have conversations around those things. But the center wins and the center is Jesus. I want to invite you to that. And we're going to try an experiment this morning that, I don't know, it's going to be kind of messy, it's going to be difficult, and you're going to say, why did we do that? Um, and we, many churches, practice communion, which we're going to do in a second, in a very individualistic way. You go up, you grab your bread, you dunk it in the juice, you eat it, and we don't really have much interaction with somebody else. I don't think that's the way it was. So I want to invite you to something different this morning. Um, the band's going to come up and play some music behind us. We're going to bring the lights up a little bit. And I need somebody to volunteer to come up here for a second. Ah. Uh, oh, we have a volunteer. Thank you. So, if you want to, you don't have to do, you don't have to do communion today, but I'm inviting all of you to do this. And there is five tables set up around the room. Um, and so, I'm going to introduce myself and you're going to introduce yourself. I am going to tell him my name's Kevin. Benjamin. Hey Benjamin. How are you? Good. So you need to know the name of the person you're serving. No one's going to be at these tables but you guys. And I'm going to say, would you like some bread? And you would take a piece. And then if there aren't any cups poured, and if you don't want this kind of thing, just offer this COVID cup. I don't know what else to call it anymore. <laughs> and would you like the juice? Okay. And then you would in turn serve me. Now, this is the tricky part because you're holding bread in a cup. And I would say, thanks. But you do not get to serve yourself. We are served by somebody else. I would. And we're going to all take these back to our seats. So there it won't, you won't have a soggy piece of bread in your hand. You will have a cup 
and a piece of bread. Thank you. You can go back to your seat, and I appreciate you. Um, and so you need to know the name of the person who's serving you. Try to do it with a stranger if you can. If you can't, if you know everybody, God bless you. Um, um, and use all sides of the table. There's, there's, there's extra juice. There's extra cups. I expect you to talk to each other. Like, like humans, keep it to English if you can, because I'm not sure there's a whole lot of second languages in the room, but if there is, cool. Um, we good? Is that clear? Oh, we have a question. We are, so hold it until then. I will have a few thoughts before we do that. Are we good? serve each other. Why not, right? Sir Benjamin gave to 
you serve the band? Can you serve the band? Just put it up there for him. that there was a lot of talking going on around the table as Jesus was going around washing their feet. I think it was a very relational moment. It was a moment where the clarification of who Jesus was became more clear to them. It, it, it took a king down off his throne. It took the Messiah to a place where a servant would be. As he sat at their feet, their there had to be a little bit of shame, right? Like, oh, I probably should have done that. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have just sat here and watched, watched as he washed the feet of this group. But who knows what else was going on as he went around and he washed each feet because you don't know what the interpersonal relationship was between the 12 either. We do know that some of them were trying to figure out how they could be the greatest in the kingdom. And I guarantee you it wasn't trying to figure out how to wash people's feet. <laughs> how to be the greatest servant of all. See, Jesus just didn't say these as slogans. He didn't just give quickie, quick little turn of phrases. He actually lived out. He lived it out in real terms, in real ways. When he said, love your enemy, he loved his enemies. When he said, the greatest of all will be the servant of all, he was the servant of all. And so when we talk about the center and we talk about the table and we talk about gathering around and, and serving one another, I wanted to give you a tangible moment where somebody served you and you served somebody else. If you're visiting us this morning, you're like, they do this every week. No, we don't. Maybe we should. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out, right? How to embody something so unreal that our creator would serve us 
And so we gather around a table that represents something that is also unbelievable. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. But before I do that, it was, this is also at the table. Is this, I just want to remind you that he is the center of this. It's the remembrance. We're remembering that he died on a cross. We're remembering that he rose from the dead. We're remembering that he is our salvation. We're remembering that he invites us into something so much more than what the world has to offer us. We're being invited. And we're trying to do it together around a table in a culture that just doesn't. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again of it until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said this, take this bread, divide it among you, for I tell you, he gave thanks and broke it, saying, this is my body, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, and they ate together. same meal came to a glass of wine perfect picture perfect picture of blood and he took it and he said in the same way after the cup he took it and said this this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you do this in remembrance of Jesus Jesus thank you that you invite us to the table, that all of our differences fade away. Our diversity becomes our strength, not because we all look the same, act the same, believe the same, walk the same, but because we're all focused on you. Those 12 guys were at that table because of you, not because of their beliefs, not because of their, their own personal anything but because of you may we become a community that understands this that we serve one another that we speak into one another's lives in ways that is loving and kind and growing may you help us orientate towards you may you command our attention may we find ourselves drawn to the center you are that center and may the table embody something beyond just a meal, but true hospitality, where people are seen and they're known and can be known and know one another. May we find our place in this community, not because we agree with everything and not because we set aside what is different about us. May we find our place in this community 
be able to celebrate together well. May we encourage each other well. May we walk together well. May we be able to be people who are able to speak into each other's lives well. And we'll find ourselves not just looking at the center and not just believing of the set of propositional truths, but actually walking together towards the center and with the center, which is you. All praise, all glory to the one who died and rose from the dead. It's in this name we pray.